Well, Todd, it's a pleasure to speak to you. I found you on YouTube uh, because of this latest, uh, the assault weapons ban. That's how I stumbled across you. And um, I Googled your name and it seems like you've been involved in firearm policy for quite a while. So if you don't mind uh, introducing yourself and telling me a little bit about that, and then maybe we can naturally stumble into a conversation about firearm policy in Illinois and just how crazy it all is. Sure. So I started lobbying back around 1989. Uh, I was on the board of the state rifle association at the time. I was involved with those guys. I was doing work for a beta of Illinois uh, as our legislative coordinator and um, the NRA was looking for a contract guy, so they picked me up, and I worked for them for 25 years. And so I handled a lot of the stuff that was going on in Illinois um, and sat there and got to know a few guys at headquarters, one of them being Chris Conti, who handled all their litigation. And so I was involved with Chris and a bunch of stuff. And we went on that once the Heller decision came down, we were working on uh, what was next. The McDonald decision came down and then things really took off. Chicago passed a new ordinance and we began to fight it. And I would work with Chris in developing cases and the concealed carry case was something I developed uh, post McDonald with Chris. And we came up with Mary Shepard. There were two cases, the Second Amendment Foundation via um, the Moore case filed just ahead of NRA. And so we uh, we were the second case there. So it all, everybody remembers more, but Mary Shepard was the one that really got it kicked off. Can you can you give me a little bit more background into some of the cases as much as like just a sure. high well, level? You had, you had Heller, which was an SAF case out of DC in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Then you had uh, McDonald, which was the Chicago handgun ban case uh, out of the Chicago handgun ban case with ordinances. There grew a number of cases. Uh, one was Gowder, Sean Gowder, a friend of mine was prohibited from being able to have a firearm in the city because of their new ordinance. Cause he had a misdemeanor UUW back in the day. And we took him to court over that and prevailed. Uh, you had David Lawson, one of the plaintiffs in McDonald, who wanted to register his SKS so he could keep it in the city. They wouldn't let him do that. We took up that court case and went to federal court so he could bring the rifle in to the hearing um, and all that. Uh, the Illinois Fire or yeah, Illinois Fire Retailers Association was another case that NRA pitched that stopped the ban, you know, because of the ban on gun shops. You had Zell one and two, it went up twice, which was part of an SAF case from Rhonda Azell about the ban on ranges in the city, despite at the time the Chicago permit requiring you have to have range training in order to qualify for their ownership permit. Uh, then you get into is SAF an organization? Yeah, Second Amendment. Oh, okay. Foundation. So the gotcha. gun guys, so in the world, you've got the NRA, National Rifle Association. You've got the Second Amendment Foundation, SAF. Uh -huh. You've got GOA, Gun Owners of America. You now have FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, I think they are. 
um, amongst the various national groups that are out there. Sure. And so SAF's model was to start with the litigation stuff. They don't have the staffing or the manpower to do the lobbying um, that the NRA had. And so uh, I worked with them uh, and I got cut loose from NRA. <clears throat> and then I went to work for the dealers for a little while. And then I retired three years ago. Gotcha. But I keep, I'm on the board of directors at the Aurora Sportsman's Club. I keep my hands in the 2A world with stuff. And I am helping shepherd and coordinate a bunch of the litigation to the gun ban in Southern Illinois. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's probably why I heard of you. Uh, before we get to the assault weapons ban, um, I'd love to talk about that because I think it's, it's, it's funny. Um, honestly, it, it reminds me a lot of, if you can't tell, we talk about drug policy in many ways. And to me, it's funny to see legislators try to legislate things they obviously don't understand. True. Right? Well, the funny thing is that we're going to have a crossroads here because you've got one federal judge already saying that, you know, the statute under 922 about being using marijuana is unconstitutional. Yes. Yes. And right. You know, th this is what makes Illinois. So Illinois is more than happy to thumb their nose at the federal drug laws. But mm -hmm. at the same time, they thumb their nose at the Supreme Court and the Constitution when it comes to the Second Amendment. Bingo. Now, when they passed the, the when they legalized medical marijuana, they went in and they talked about how um, that, you know, nobody should lose their rights over any of this. And what the state police have decided was we won't take away your FOID card. We won't take away uh, your carry license, but we won't let you buy any new guns. We will, you know, you can't buy anything new, which is right. Just you, well, your only option is a private sale, and they're trying to make universal, you know, the universal background check or whatever they say, which right. would effectively take away every option for a medical cannabis patient to purchase a firearm. Right. It's crazy. Right. But so we kind of just dove knee deep because you've been through it all. I kind of want to hear if you can, like, what's the history? I've always gotten the impression that the history of firearm policy in Illinois has been messed up let's just say but can you start from the beginning and maybe take on one of the main things that i hear critics say which is that the void is unconstitutional is that do you think that's a natural place to start in illinois sure. history sure, and then that's we where move on? that's where the majority of it really starts right so what you have is uh in the late 60s uh coming off of the king and kennedy assassinations um, mayor, the original mayor daily was rip shit about doing something about guns. And so they wanted to register every firearm and that was their end. And there were a group of people who got together and the downstate guys went and they basically said, okay, instead of registering firearms, do some, you know, the owners that are, have to get a, a permit to purchase kind of thing. That's what the FOID card is. It's a permit to purchase permit to possess and so that was what they did um and that started things and things were pretty much at a i don't know they just kind of laid dormant for a long time uh that was 68 72 you had a junk gun bill 
come through because back at a time there were a lot of guns being made out of pop metal that were being imported. And so you had this thing about the 800 degree law as to whether or not the gun was going to hold up and all that. Now today, metallurgy is a lot different. Machining techniques are a lot different. Whether or not that's a reasonable law at this point in time is uh, something to be considered. Uh, they, it does keep a fair number of low-priced firearms off the market here in Illinois. Uh, but, uh, so you, you go into that, and then it was later on that, you know, waiting periods crept in. 92, the instant background check came into Illinois. We actually preceded the national one. Uh, and then from there, um, it's just been a nonstop ebb and flow. I mean, firearms policy in this state was largely unchanged for all that time. We we made some small increments, but we couldn't pass preemption to stop the municipal gun bans. They couldn't pass major gun bans. So there was no large policy shift. Around 2000, there was a policy shift about carrying and that it went from a misdemeanor to a class four felony. That was about, and that originally was snuck in. And then it got watered down after the Supreme Court tossed it out. So you didn't have any significant policy changes uh, for all that time, one way or the other. There was small things here and there, a um, little bit about types of ammo, things like that. Uh, we got the... SBR is legalized if you have a CNR license. Oh, geez, that's been over 10 years ago. Um, I kind of lost track of time here. Um, but, you know, the, you saw the first part of changes. So we got the biggest change was carrying 13. Uh, that's now going on 10 years. And at the same time, they did something on background checks. You saw a... This does carry in 13 mean you can get your concealed carry in Illinois, but also 13 other states? Or what does that mean? No, 2013. Oh, you said 2013. Yeah. And it, I misunderstood. I'm using 13 as in 13 as in 2013. Oh, yes. Gotcha. That's when it pat. That's when we got it. So we're going on 10 years now. Uh, so, and there, they threw the other side a couple of bones with that. There's, you know, there was something on gun shows that was background checks. But again, all that was kind of small potato stuff. They didn't get anything significant for a long time. And now it's only been in the last couple of years with gun dealer licensing and other things that they've been able to move the ball because Illinois is going bluer and bluer. And you've had some complicit Republicans with it. And that's where it goes. So. Gotcha. What's the gun dealer licensing thing? Do they just make it like harder to get a license? Yeah, they decide. Entry? They the, the city people have always been blaming a couple of gun shops around the city for all their problems when half the guns are imported from outside the state, and so they always use that. They said, "Well, if we can just do you know get a handle on these guys, we can shut these dealers down." Well, all the guys they complained about are still in business because they weren't doing anything wrong. And so they're still around, but they drove half the dealers out of business for all their crazy regulatory requirements for cameras, B 
videotaping, extra paperwork, all that stuff. And a lot of guys just said not doing it. So you've got all that going on. Um, that's what happened. And so uh, that was the beginning of it with gun dealer licensing. And now they're trying to screw with that on and off uh, at times. So that's what's going on. Uh, that's what GDL is. You know, our nickname for it is gun dealer licensing GDL. But it's been a, um, you know, it's been a headache. And it's, you know, parts of that will undoubtedly get challenged once we get a little bit more, um, you know, farther down this road post New York. I mean, we're seven months post New York. Things are just starting to shake out now. And background on that, I think I understand that. But isn't it that New York made it like nearly impossible to get a handgun? Is, is that right? Or am I thinking of something well, else? New York sat there and they had a proper cause requirement in order to get a carry license it was may issue and so it was challenged and they said no your may issue bullshit doesn't wash and the the bigger part of new york was that the court had watched the lower courts misapply the heller decision since 2008 and so they elicited a new standard for reviewing second amendment claims in the federal court system and with that, that's what's touched off all this litigation is because not only the gun ban in Illinois, but all the stuff around the country that's going on. And New York, instead of playing nice, said, oh, we're going to make it harder and we're going to challenge everything. And they're just dragging their feet because they just do not like the concept of people carrying a gun in public. So you now have these guys back in court again, there's five, six cases in New York challenging all the things that they threw into their new carry law and they're probably going to lose. And, but that is also given new life. There were four gun cases pending at the Supreme court. They were all granted, vacated and remanded with instructions. See New York. So there you have all these cases going back and uh, there are a number of cases, four of them that were just all the briefings were concluded last week. So now it's in the hands of the judge. So you have a magazine ban, a semi-auto ban, a billy club ban and uh, ammo restrictions that are all up in front of the judge. And if he rules against the state on all those, the state of California is going to have a new problem on their hands. And it'll be interesting to see what the court of appeals does. You already have courts around the country taking New York seriously. You've got uh, the fifth uh, district down in Texas has said that part of the felon in possession can't do. You've got the uh, civilian restraining orders uh, for orders of protection can't do. You've got the marijuana case out of Oklahoma can't do. Um, so you've got a bunch of this stuff out there and that's the net effect of what the New York decision is. They set a new framework as to how you evaluate this stuff. So I think there's going to be some challenge. Uh, you know, obviously the state's probably, the feds are probably going to appeal the marijuana stuff up, which is, you know, is going to be interesting. Can I ask, do you know any, not to take us on a tangent, but do you know any um, organizations that have like 
taken that issue under their arm. I feel like that's just waiting for somebody to be like, hey, I'm no, here for it, you. it's going to be no, what, what you're going to have is you're going to have this Oklahoma case. So <clears throat> it's at the district court. You'll, the government obviously is going to appeal it. They have to. That's going to go up. And then depending on what the court of appeals does, if the court of appeals sides with the individual, then Garland is going to have to appeal that to the Supreme Court. And just like he's going to have to do with the orders of protection case out of Texas, he's go, he's appealing that one to the Supreme Court. Uh, so, you know, I would think that if you wanted the district court and the individual loses at the appellate court, why wouldn't he take it up to the U.S. Supreme Court? And what you'll probably see is you'll probably see a bunch of other groups come in and do a bunch of amici briefs to sit there and support whatever issue there is. Um, but I think that's going to that's going to come up there. There's there's going to be a wholesale rewrite on the gun laws over the next two years, I think, and what's going to be allowable. I mean, I, I'm really surprised that the Supreme Court just doesn't block out like two weeks and saying, okay, we're going to deal with gun stuff. Uh, but th the only other way for them to deal with it is going to be to set down a uh, refinement of the standard of review that they put down in New York and just kind of tighten things up. And they need to tighten up when history, you know, they said not all history is equal. So I think they have to tighten that phrase up. They have to tighten up when the appropriate time period is. They said history and tradition based on the adaptation of the Second Amendment, which is 1791. They left a small window of opportunity open for 1868 when the uh, the 14th Amendment was ratified post-Civil War and in the Reconstruction era. So there's a little bit of that. They've said the 20th century is clearly out. What does that have to... Sorry, I'm trying to... Are they trying to say that, like, we didn't have that weaponry back then? I'm sorry, I'm trying to see how that... No, so, so the test that has been enumerated in New York yeah. is, does the text of the Second Amendment cover the conduct? Yes, mm -hmm. no. If the text of the Second Amendment covers the conduct, then the burden flips to the state. It is the state's burden to prove that there was a law like that or something that you could analyze, uh, make analogy to at the time of the founding that mm -hmm. would have shed light on the subject matter. And that's 1791. So what laws were there in 1791 on the prohibition of, you know, using illicit chemicals or drugs or however you want to phrase it to prevent somebody from owning and possessing a firearm? How? I don't think they're there. That's why the judge in Oklahoma ruled the way he did. So it is text informed by history and tradition. And that's where I think the anti-gunners and a bunch of them are going to run into a major problem as far as what's going to happen here. And then they want, if you read the briefs from the other side, they want to argue into 1868 and then into the 20th century. And the court has said, no, no 20th century stuff. So there, there's a legal argument about whether it's laws around 1868 
or laws around 1791 that are the controlling history as to how we define whether or not something's constitutional when it comes to the Second Amendment. Very interesting. Thank you for breaking that down. There's a lot. There's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just to because this is the, <clears throat> I think this is like maybe the third or fourth time. I, I don't know if I've discussed this topic, but a handful of times. Uh, but there's a quote that I I think to set the stage for this conversation that I really like. It resonated with me. I can't think of who said it right now, but I bet folks, if you Google it, you're gonna find it. So hear me out on this, Todd. What do you think about this? There are people that love guns. There are people that hate guns. And then there are people that understand how firearms work. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. Because the way I look at it, it's just a fucking tool. I don't have emotions about it. I mean, I I do if you're trying to take it from me, but like, because like if you're trying to take my hammer, right? It's like, why the fuck are you taking my hammer, dude? Like, I might need to use my hammer, right? So you get my analogy. Sorry, I wanted to let that sit for a second. I like that. Yeah, no, the the difference with it is, um, uh, I don't have, so if you see the sticker back here, Mm -hmm. all right, so what it is, is it is a patch doing this, and the middle finger is an (laughs) AR-15, okay? And that is something I designed, and what it is, and this gets down to it, not only do I have the ability to say no, I have the means to back that up. And that's what scares the shit out of a bunch of these legislators is that they come down. Well, we said, okay, no. And I'm not some two-year-old that's saying no. And we have the ability to say no. That's what the second amount was originally intended for was that when, you had a government get so overbearing that the people no longer thought it was representative because we are not a democracy. We're a representative Republic. And so that's the meaning behind that sticker and those patches that I have is yeah, we can say no. And that's what, that's what gets all of our guys really fired up is that you're taking away my means. So you're telling me I have to be completely reliant on a benevolent government. And a bunch of us just don't buy that. You know, where was the government when the riots were taking place in Chicago two years ago? Where was the government when you had the riots in L.A. after Rodney King in the 90s? Where was the government? You know, no. Um, So we don't we don't buy that. We don't deal with that. And, you know, when everything goes sideways and you ask those Koreans on the roofs back in the Rodney King riots, how they felt about having their rifles on the roofs at our shops and everything. Well, no. Yeah. So, you know, we saw it during COVID, the government can't do it. And we have the means and ability to fend for ourselves, period, the end. So yeah. that's what really drives them nuts. Yeah. I think, I think you're onto something there. I, and uh, forgive me. So we were, we were up into 2013. We ballooned mm-hmm. into uh, many different cases and I feel like we're working our way up to this latest thing. Yeah, so which you, is so you had Carrie in 2013, they've been at a standstill. It wasn't until 2020 mm-hmm. they did gun dealer, whatever. That was kind of like what started to break the log jam for them because um, and then 
from 2020 until, you know, the first of this year, there's been this festering. They want to do something. They want to do something. Madigan back in the day kept his thumb down on a lot of stuff. Uh, And so now you are sitting here and you had the Highland Park shooting, which was the match that lit the fuse. And so because of that, um, in the way the state has shifted, that the Republicans were in a super minority before the math was simple. When you had, you know, uh, 45 Republicans, 45 Republicans plus the downstate Democrats, you had a majority and you could kill bills in the House. And then you had some weak need Republicans like Jim Durkin. And then you, the Republicans started losing seats in the suburbs. Then they sat there and were going after the low hanging fruit of the downstate Democrats. So the Democratic caucus got more liberal and they were seeding ground. You know, when, when you lose a, um, good Republican in the suburbs to an anti-gun Democrat, we're down one vote. If I trade a good good Democrat for an equally good Republican in Southern Illinois, it's a net zero. I get nothing out of that. There was no net gain to the end of the day. So with that, um, that was the problem. And the Republicans never put a game plan together. They had a failing uh, you know, campaign strategy. Uh, and I think they, they, they had a whole bunch of problems. So with that, you saw the state turning more and more blue. You, they didn't take advantage of when they had rounders money. You got a, you know, then the Democrats saw the writing on the wall and said, well, if we get our billionaire in there, they can flood the airwaves. So between certain special interests that have always funded the Democrats like labor unions and trial lawyers. Then you throw a billionaire on top of it. Yeah, the Republicans have never been able to compete in that money world. So that's what happened. And then in 2013, they started talking about stuff post Highland Park. And then after that, we um, we sat here and they cobbled together a bill. Um, it was being pushed by anti-gunners across the country in efforts to break a log jam and have the first state in a very long time come out and pass something. And they got it done. And now we're in court. Yeah. So that's that's what we know and we hear about as the assault weapons ban. Um, part of what I've heard about it is that they almost know that what they're doing is unconstitutional. But before I get to that, like, in other words, they're just kind of putting a bill out or a law out that they know is going to be challenged and and probably struck down in the Supreme court. Um, But before we get to that, like, I think it's really essential that we break down just what this is because some people don't understand like the fact that like, assault weapon is kind of a buzzword like they're really and and i'd love to hear you break that down i noticed you have uh, a rifle that would qualify under the ban because it's got an extended 
or it's got a removable magazine. It's got a pistol grip. Yeah. So those those are two things that get you. But can you can you break that down for people yeah, that are so watching? So this AR has a collapsible stock. Oh yeah, the collapsible stock is part All of right. it, right? It's got a pistol grip right here. Okay, it's got a hand guard. It's got a flash hider. All these things, any one of those makes it a prohibited gun. So you can't buy this gun anymore in the state. Um, you know, and all of these parts and attachments are illegal. If you just try to just buy the handguard or whatever, that's just this gun. Um, but it is much broader than this in terms of everything else it deals with. It goes on. So this is one of my Glock pistols. Mm -hmm. This pistol is legal to currently buy in Illinois. This is another one of my Glock pistols. Because it has a threaded barrel, this gun is illegal to buy in Illinois. So that qualifies as an assault weapon because yep. of the thread threaded barrel? Yep. One of the most common pistols out there. So... This is one of my carry guns. It has an optic on it. It has a threaded barrel. This is just the same gun. No optic, no threaded barrel. This gun, come uh, April 10th of this year, you will not be able to carry this gun on the street. Is it only the threaded barrel? Yes, on this, one, on this one, it's just the threaded barrel. Okay. Well, okay. So what I was going to ask you, I think this is a good place to start to, to make our point or to make my point, I don't know if it's your point, because this is the first time we've ever talked, but sure. you know, that pistol right there, let's just, let's pretend it didn't have a sight on it. The, the mm -hmm. one with the threaded barrel, let's pretend right. it didn't have a sight on it. The question, my question is, does that threaded barrel increase the lethality of that weapon? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. All it See. does is allow me to put an attachment on the end of it. Um, that's all it is. It um, it does not change the lethality or anything else to deal with it like that in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. I'm trying so to the re I'm trying to disassemble these to show you something. Oh no problem. I always have a hard time with with my Glocks here, um, just because it'll the takedown mechanism. Come on. It's all good, but Go ahead, uh, talk. I, I can do two things at once. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the point I was, I think you already see my point, but yeah. for listeners, um, that, that are new to this subject, cause again, I've not discussed it much on my show and, and thank you for opening the door for me to be able to, cause I think I'm going to be able to point that to this and be like, yo, I've had Todd on my show and people will be like, all right. Uh, but anyways, so you well, know what I mean? Yeah. Let me, uh, but, let me show you something here real quick sure. about this. So take the cap off. So here's the slide off the one gun, right? Mm -hmm. So if I take the barrel out of that gun, out of that right. slide, and I now take the recoil spring and the barrel out. And so I put the threaded barrel and put this gun back together. A 
And for folks that are listening, it's chillinois.net slash video to watch. That, okay, so, so that now that gun's illegal. Now that, that, that switch I just made is illegal. Huh. This gun now becomes illegal. Wow. And that's just how easy it changing is. Changing that out makes this gun illegal. You know, making that, you know, so this is the absolute insanity that exists within this law as far as what you can do. Well, um, in my, I haven't really got to the point that, that I think we were talking the same language. I want to try to make the point for the audience that again is not maybe have been introduced to this topic uh, just yeah. really quick. So the reason I'm talking about lethality and like, if there's a difference there is because the best example I can give you is that in Canada, they had, they led with their assault weapons ban, but one of the guns they did not ban was the SKS and right. the SKS. Correct me if I'm wrong. Todd is basically the exact same gun as the one behind you, except it's got a wooden handle and it doesn't look as scary, <laughs> but no, as far as not, function, no, the, am the I SK wrong? The original, yeah, no, the SKS originally did not have a uh, detachable magazine. There are later variations of it that did. It's a it was a internal ten round magazine with the original SKS. But hang on, ladies and gentlemen, I think he's grabbing an SKS. Nope, I don't have an oh, SKS. No. Oh darn! <laughs> I do not have an SKS. I do have some other stuff here. Cool. And thanks for being willing to break this down with us, literally, okay. since we're actually well, breaking down guns. <laughs> this is a Ruger 10-22. Okay. This gun's illegal. Why? First off, it has a pistol grip. Even though it's on a traditional style Monte Carlo stock, that's a pistol grip. So what's a pistol grip defined as now? A 90 degree handle or something or what uh no just it's one it's like porn you know when you see it okay all right <laughs> and then the other part is this has a threaded barrel I or see. a flash hider you can see i can spin this off right here now does that does a flash hider i mean yep. a flash hider doesn't really increase the lethality it just protects people protects it doesn't flash it protects the shooter more than anything else because it stops the shooter from being blinded. Gotcha. Most people think it's to hide your muzzle signature when you're out there, which is not true. Oh, that's what I thought. So thank, thank you for correcting that. So, yeah. So this little 1022, this little 22 rifle is illegal under the law, as is this one here. So that looks like thing. a BB gun. Um, it's a 22 long rifle, but because it has a threaded barrel, mm. it's illegal. Now, so, to be clear, it's illegal to purchase. You can keep those, right? If I choose to register them. If you choose. So you have to register them to keep if I them. Want, if I want those guns to remain legally in my possession. Have they opened or created the registry yet? Not yet. No. That won't open until oh, sometime around October. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, okay. So if if I didn't make the point, do you agree with the point that I was trying to make that some of these components 
I don't feel like the pistol grip. It doesn't make the gun shoot any differently. It's not like it's like heat seeking missiles. It's just a different way to hold the firearm. Lethality is right here. Lethality is in the cartridge. Okay. That's what it is. So this is a five, five, six, which is what most of the ARs shoot. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a 308 or a 762 by 51. You can see the difference here. Um, so I'll do it this way. Just if I can. Okay. All right. Wow. So this, this is a 30 cal. This is an AR. Typical. Yeah. All right. This is varmints and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, um, you know, the cartridge, think of it this way. The the round of ammunition that the gun is designed for is equivalent to the engine in your car. So the 5.56 five, is like having a V6. This 308 is like having a V8. You know, that's, and what you do from there to tweak them, different types of powders, different weights of bullets, that's what all drives that. You know, this is a uh, 460 Smith & Wesson. It is a pistol cartridge. See the comparison there? This fires a um, 285-grain slug. This fires 55-grain slug. So you're talking something that is almost six times the weight and mass yeah. moving downrange. So that's what drives it. And they all keep trying to make this special. The whole assault weapons bullshit is just about cosmetics. They are guns that look like, excuse me, look like military guns, right? machine guns. And that's been their whole thing is to conflate that. Right. Right. And just for, for the audience that are clear, like you say, I think a lot of people uh, confuse that like they see somebody with an AK-47 and they as- assume they're like oh that's a machine gun and it's like no right. an AK-47 was legal in Illinois as a semi-automatic rifle the difference that you just pointed out is if it's an automatic rifle that's a right. machine gun which is you know, I, a- think with this right? you ever see those Volkswagens that have Ferrari bodies over them <laughs> it's not a Ferrari right not anything else right it's it's a kit car and yeah. it's the same it's the same difference they look like something but they're not yeah so this is slightly unrelated but still on the topic of the assault weapons ban um so so forgive me for slightly sw- switching subjects but i'm curious what you think about this i feel like it's another way that we'll agree on like in spirit on a subject so like uh i read that only police and former police will continue to be able to purchase these weapons that are outlined in the ban and uh possess them of course right because they can purchase them well first of all am i correct in that partially um it's there's uh, about six different enumerated categories uh you've got cops you've got wardens how that gets in there i don't know security guys Law enforcement officers. No uh, former military. Is that correct? 
no Safety. no retired military. That's part of divorce lawsuit because I probably have more training with firearms than most cops do. I right. spend more time on the range than most cops do, uh, and all that. And that's part of his equal protection claim that hey, uh, we've got Navy SEALs who have more firearms training, and if you're using that training as your background to it, that that is your justification. You're wrong. So no, um, don't see that. Um, but there's an equal protection claim to be had there. I don't think it's going to go anywhere at the end of the day. They've never gotten to that. So. Um, I just think that part is insane. Look, look, like on one hand, it's not insane. There is precedent for police having access and former police having access to more things than a civilian or maybe even former active military. duty cops. Yes. Retired cops. When I left the military, I left my hand grenades and machine guns behind. Right. But and I, and I, you know, so you, either you treat one the same or none. And I, you know, that's why I always opposed retired cops carry. And they're like, well, well, we put bad guys away. Great. What about the state's attorneys out there who put bad guys away? What about people who show up and testify against the bad guys to put them away? You don't want that? Well, you you let ours in, then we'll help you out. Nope. Chicago uh, FOP used to play that game all the time, and I would kill that bill all the time. And just like, no, you're not that special. Right. Well, one of the other ways I was going to give where they kind of do have, like you said, with military, you, you hang it up, you put your firearm away, you leave it that base when you when you you know get out or whatever i'm not using the right terminology but for oh, that's okay um so uh with law enforcement at least in illinois i know that you cannot become a private investigator unless you have been in law enforcement is that no you have to have certain experience levels and all that kind of stuff oh, okay i'm wrong um, on that too damn thank you for correcting me on it, this. <laughs> it's i don't spend a lot of time in the private security world or dealing with those guys but you can get in, but there's a way to get in, but it's whatever. Okay. Um, you know, That's you right. have to, you can go through, be a security guard and work your way up into all that stuff to get uh, an investigator's license and then be able to own a business or whatever. But I don't worry about all that because, you know, uh, I'm more worried about the average guy, not not that business. The, that business is not my, where yeah. I spent my time. So um, thank you for humoring me on that tangent oh, and right. for, for informing me on that too. Um, back to the, back to just the assault weapons ban in general. I feel like I dove in with, with some of my thoughts and I started right on the point of lethality. What are, what is just like your, what is your perspective on why this is a pointless thing? Because I think Justice Scalia got it right when he said some have made the argument bordering on the frivolous, only those arms in existence in the 18th century are protected. We do not view constitutional rights that way. And, you know, if we treated the, the First Amendment the way they treat the Second Amendment, you'd be left with the printing press, the soapbox, and the quill pen. That's it. They 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 have no problem being absolute hypocrites well the founding fathers never could have envisioned an ar-15 i disagree with that but the founding fathers in no way could envision the internet but you could say the first amendment 
protects that all day long. Radio, television, all those kinds of things. They're all protected via the First Amendment. But now you're telling me that a little old AR-15 somehow is different, that the Second Amendment is different, that it doesn't keep up with technological advances. The Fourth Amendment has. The justices cited the Fourth Amendment and the First when they referenced that passage. You know, they can't sit outside your house and use thermal sites to see what they could not otherwise see to gain access to something. They don't get to do that. Uh, so the, the Constitution has kept up with modern innovations, and they just don't want to acknowledge it when it comes to guns. And they just, they, they, they come at this from an emotional side of it, not a logical side. So you're never going to win that argument. The only way yeah. you're going to beat them is to just crush them politically, either at the polls or in the courts to where, no, my job these days, since Illinois seems so far gone with a Republican Party that can't get out of its own way, that my job is to crush them in the courts, put such a legislative straitjacket on them that they can't get out of it. And that's it. And people said, well, you know, Roe was settled law for 50 years. Roe was never settled law. Nobody ever agreed with that from the get-go. The majority of our history, most people have believed that they had a right to own a gun. There have only been academics and others that have tried to continuously push the militia view that it was only for the state militia, not for individuals. They have tried to um, beat that into the national psyche, um, and they've largely failed. Otherwise, we wouldn't have... 400 million firearms plus in private hands today. So uh, you've got all that. And it's just, no. That was a brilliant analogy. The, um, the first amendment and the internet and, and, yeah. uh, you know, radio. And Does the Scalia even said that in that same passage, it's on page eight of the Heller decision. It's not hard to find. And, you know, they just don't want to admit to it. They 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 can't have that honest debate. Well, and if I may, it, it I feel like it would be easier to explain to somebody back then, even if you had a musket, what, you know, okay, this is a cartridge. We load it into the magazine. The spring assists it into the firearm. They, and it, they, and were, it continues. they were working on all that, kind of trying to figure stuff out back in the day. But there hear are, me out. If you tried to explain the internet to somebody back then, they'd be like, dude, you're fucking crazy. Or like the radio. You know what I mean? Because it's like going through the air. Like, yeah. ha try explaining that to somebody when electricity doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. But um, so that was a, a brilliant point uh, to, to your point. So, um, well, so where do we stand today with the challenges and uh, so, everything else? Yeah, um, you've got two simple tracks. You have the state court challenges and you have the federal court challenges. The federal court challenges are coming down in a myriad of ways. And you've got four cases in Southern Illinois that are in the federal courts. You have a case up in the Northern District in May, out of McHenry County, you have the Naperville case that has gone forward to the Court of Appeals. You have the, um, you then have Highland Park 
and Cook County semi-auto bans and a new one called Herrera that were filed up here. And they're contemplating combining them or doing whatever. Uh, and so you've got these multiple tracks. You almost need a bingo card to keep track of everything. So with that, that's what you got. Um, we are on a track. The state has to file their briefs and our cases on Thursday. We then have 21 days to reply. Our replies will be due the 23rd. And then from there, uh, we will have oral arguments on the 12th of April. And uh, we'll see what the judge says then. Gotcha. Um, what's? Can you explain to me like what's going on with like some people have stays? Like it seems like a limited number of people. So um, the state challenges were for the named individuals. They didn't go in um, with what we call organizational plaintiffs. If you look at all the cases downstate, there are individual plaintiffs and there are organizational plaintiffs, meaning that we are an organization that represents a body of people, you know, and you fall under our umbrella. Divorce cases didn't do that. They named all the individuals. That's how you have these huge pleadings with everybody's name on there. Uh, and so the TROs that they got were for those named individuals. And T the thing is, you've got a TRO, a preliminary injunction, and a permanent injunction. TROs, it's essentially the same criteria to get a permanent injunction, uh, but it's temporary in nature, hence the name temporary restraining order. And they can be extended. Typically, they're only good for a couple of weeks to a month on the front side as you litigate out the potential for an injunction. With that, uh, they succeeded in the TROs, went up on appeal. The appellate court upheld it in a limited fashion. And now the attorney, and they didn't do a Second Amendment claim. They did it on 14th Amendment equal protection. And so that's up there. Now you got to see what's going to happen, uh, whether or not the state Supreme Court is going to uphold those TROs or not that's debatable so we it's like i can litigate a tro i mean our our guys could but then we have to reproduce all that work for an injunction so let's just skip the tro go straight for the injunction because if we prevail on the injunction we can appeal the injunction or if we lose on the injunction, we can appeal the 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 lack of them giving us an injunction. Um, it's kind of hard to appeal a TRO. So there's a difference in, you know, injunction means that it's going to be in place throughout the litigation and the judges already determined that there's a preponderance of the evidence that we are likely to prevail in, in our end game. So if we gain an injunction here, they will appeal it up to the Seventh Circuit and then we'll see what the Seventh Circuit says. Gotcha. Um, and the, that happens the, on April 13th, you said? That's the, that's the oral arguments. Okay. I would anticipate the judge to take a week to two weeks after that to rule and come down with his decision. Gotcha. And so if he, if he says, if he says, yeah, you guys got a point, then it dies there. 
it no, dies in the state. If, or... if he if he issues an injunction, then we go back to January 9th. Everything goes back the way it was. Okay. And then the state will appeal that up to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals and say the judge got it wrong. And mm-hmm. they will try to undo the injunction. And then vice versa. If if he says you guys got it wrong, you'll do the same thing. You'll appeal we will it. appeal it upstairs and say he got it wrong. Right. Makes sense. So, so it, no matter what happens here, we're going up on appeal. Is it going to the state? No, we're in federal court. So ours will go to yeah. the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And depending on what happens there, we'll be going to the Supreme Court. Very interesting. Now, there are other cases that are farther along in the process outside of Illinois. So depending on what happens there, you know, we'll see. And they would they would address what's happened in Illinois is what you're saying. Yeah, you you have two semi auto bans in California, Miller and I forget the other one that are up on appeal, or they're in front of the trial court now. And if Judge Benitez issues his decision next week, and he issues in our favor, then the court is going to or the state is going to appeal that decision up, and we'll see what happens from there. Uh, you've got Maryland. That case was argued in front of the Court of Appeals in December. And so it's pending out there. That decision could come down any day now. So and either way, this is going to the Supreme Court. And, it is. And I mean, the the Supreme Court, wouldn't you say, would lean towards that issue? I know it's hard to, to yeah. make it. I, I think you will have. I think by June of next year, you'll have a resolution on this issue. From the standpoint that, let's say Maryland becomes the first case. So Maryland comes out of the Court of Appeals, we win, and the uh, uh, the Attorney General out of Maryland takes it to the Supreme Court. Well, now you've got a divergence in the circuits. Um, if you have, if we prevail, let's say we prevail, in both instances, district court, court of appeals, Kwame's going to take it upstairs. If California loses at the district court level and the appellate court level, they're going to take it up. And if in any one of these cases we lose at the court of appeals, we're going to take it up. So let's say that California wins district, loses at the court of appeals, we win at the Court of Appeals. Now you have a conflict within the two circuits. That's when the Supreme Court really takes it up because they want uniformity between the circuits. So depending on how fast we get through some stuff depends. But the way, you know, it it just depends on how long the Ninth Circuit takes to rule. It depends on how long the Seventh Circuit takes to rule so let's say just game out a timeline that we sit there we win an injunction at the trial court and and it's issued for third week in april goes up to the seventh circuit it's going to take them a month to get their act together so now you're looking the third week of may they usually take a summer recess maybe we get a briefing schedule over the summer and then we come back in say September for oral arguments. They then take another 
120 days, 90 days to issue an opinion. You're looking at January of 2024. Um, so it depends on when we get that conflict. And if we've got that conflict, then, you know, and like I said, if Maryland goes our way, um, the state will be appealing that upwards. So it just depends on how soon we get that conflict. So let's say that Maryland goes against us. Our side will appeal it up. And then that's an argument that they got New York wrong. They didn't listen to what you guys said in New York. And the court may clarify what they said in New York. But if you get the Court of Appeals going against us in the or say go against us in Maryland and goes with us in the seventh, then you got a straight up conflict. And so I think it is very possible, depending on how fast the Court of Appeals deal with things in the so you've got case in New Jersey, you've got a case in California, you got our case. Then you've got two cases in Colorado where they have not gone through the district court. They were issued injunctions. So it depends on when that conflict arises. And once that conflict arises, then we're in front of the Supreme Court for sure. Because they can't turn them all down. They have to accept one. But I, I, I seriously think that we could have a resolution to this issue by June of next year. Very interesting. You are to guns as I am to drug policy. I try to keep up on all the different things that are going on. And uh, you are. Well, the same I only way. got 30 years of doing it. So, you know, <laughs> you build on that data bank. And if, if you're into it, you're into it. I mean, I tangentially follow some of the drug stuff. Uh, the You know, I was arguing about the medical marijuana stuff and all that kind of thing. Now the recreational use and all that as to what mm -hmm. there is. Um, so, you know, and, uh, I don't necessarily agree with the marijuana prohibition. I think the cleaner thing to do is just have the federal government take it off to schedule one Yeah, and yeah. just be done with it. Um, the only issue I've ever had with it is being able to prove that somebody is incoherent <laughs> behind the wheel of a vehicle. Right. And, right. You know, I mean, the other thing I'm slowly having a gripe with is uh january i was in vegas and the whole freaking place just stunk when we stunk were out like on skunk. the street yeah i it's skunk weed i just i don't you know it's not at least pipe tobacco smells good at least a <laughs> decent cigar smells good okay that stuff just it just like <laughs> or something and it's like really guys you know, it's like I'm living that I'm walking down the sidewalk. It's like I got a garbage truck going past me. <laughs> uh, you know, and that, that was that's my personal beef with it. I don't have anything with it one way or the other. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I view it, like you say, as just like kind of a personal freedoms thing. I, if And I would prefer it. Here's the way I look at it. And, and this is where I will like agree with you. I think that people should try to smoke weed in public like they smoke cigarettes in public. And by that, I mean, be respectful to people like give a fucking distance, be in a plate, like be in a smoking area, you know, all those things. But if you're not hurting me, hey, man, it's all good there. So but but yeah. Yeah, I get very, I get libertarian about a bunch of that stuff right. for, for the most part. My thing is just, like I said, so long as, you know, well, this isn't like 
alcohol where I can get behind the wheel of a vehicle. Okay. You know, stay out of my way, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, and I, but I think the policy with regard, I think that Illinois is just such a hypocrite. Well, we're not going to take your food card away. It's against federal law. All right. Mm -hmm. You're not going to tell you, oh, well, you just can't buy any. This is where they just get so, you know, crazy about this stuff. And if they didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. Yeah. So just one of the ways I like an analogy I have between cannabis and firearms and people laugh when I say that they're like, what, how are you going to relate these two? But hear me out. You've always been able to create a firearm at home. You've always been able to grow cannabis at home, right? That's kind of the analogy that I have. And my question is like with this, and it's slightly unrelated to most of the things we've been talking to so far, but like, would you agree that this, this whole ghost gun thing and it's like i think that's just a buzzword by the way um mm -hmm. the whole the whole topic is seriously chipping away at the second amendment because hear me out here people used to complain like in illinois i remember the local dick sporting goods stopped carrying ar-15s mm -hmm. and like a few people came in and complained to the people there and i understand where they're coming from but at the same time they were making stupid arguments hear me out they were saying they were like you're taking away from my second amendment right. And the guy at Dick's was like, dude, we just don't carry them anymore. And I was just, I, <laughs> my point is like the yeah, second so, amendment doesn't guarantee you the right to purchase an AR 15 from Dick's, but it does guarantee you the right to possess that firearm. You know? Well, you have to have the means to acquire it. The problem fair, with Dick's fair, was, yeah. so understand this, this is where you need to go back and comprehend what New York is and what we're trying to accomplish. Okay. New York says if it's covered by the text of the Second Amendment, it is protected conduct. The burden then flips to the state to prove by history and tradition that the item they're regulating, the, the what their regulation is, what their law is, is constitutional mm -hmm. because it was something the founding fathers would have gone, Oh, I could have had a V eight. Right. Right. So when you get down that road, Zell sat there and said that you have a right to maintain proficiency, a right to practice. You have to have a place to do that. Therefore the city's ban on ranges was unconstitutional. They also said you had a right to acquire firearms. Well, if you have a right to acquire there has to be a corresponding place to sell them, whether that be a retail commercial establishment or a private transaction. So under the Seventh Circuit precedent, all of that is encompassed within the text of the Second Amendment. So that's why the gun dealers are arguing about the right to repair. Because if I have the right to have a gun, I have a right to keep my firearm in good working order. All right. So you go down that road. The more things we get enumerated by the courts as being colorary or, or um, tangent to the Second Amendment, the more items that become protected, the more conduct that is protected. And then when the state chooses to regulate or restrict that conduct, they have to justify it through history and tradition going back to the concept that 
Eli Whitney, the guy that invented the cotton gin, sat there and helped perfect the modern forging technique with Samuel Colt. So, um, now to the ghost gun thing. Ghost guns is just the latest shock term, buzzword, bumper sticker slogan that the anti-gunners have put to guns. Assault weapons started the craze, Saturday night specials, pocket rockets, sniper rifle, you know, all that stuff is our buzzwords that they just keep throwing out there to demonize and demagogue a category of firearms. That that's it's all marketing. They they've completely gone away from gun control to gun safety. Tell me when the last time was they taught anything about safety. They don't they teach restrictions. They teach infringements. They don't teach anything about safety. They don't teach about the right way to do a press check on a gun to make sure that you can tell whether or not there's a round in the chamber. They don't tell you anything about how to clear this and deal with it so you can, you know, so you can make sure that it's an empty gun. They don't say anything about locking it to the rear, looking down this side, looking down that, you know, making sure that there's nothing. They don't do any of that. So they rebranded themselves and they are masters at marketing. That's all they are, you know? So that's what ghost guns are. And the thing about ghost guns, it drives them nuts. It's the power thing. You can't stop the signal. The 3D printing stuff made them absolutely lose their minds because you could share a file and now you can't stop me. You know? Yeah. You know, the, the gun dealer licensing ran 50% of the FFLs in the state out of business. Oh, we're going to get fewer places, right? Well, I can go in my basement and make one. And right. it drives them nuts. They don't have that control. They think they have to absolutely have that control. And it all goes back to, you know, not to keep bringing up cannabis, but we've we've agreed prohibition doesn't work with the stuff that you're sitting behind. It's on your hat. Jack Daniels. We learned the lesson there. Prohibition does not work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I was on the border in 1990 and 1991. I was on the border chasing drug runners, bringing stuff across the border with the military. I was down. Yeah, I was down there as part of JTF six. Tell us, tell me more about that. This is oh, yeah. crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got called up for Desert Storm. I was part of a cavalry unit. And as part of my call up for Desert Storm, we thought we were going on a, a preliminary uh, deployment exercise. And mm-hmm. they ended up sticking us down in Yuma, Arizona. We were on the border right there. Uh, and we were part of a counter narcotics and counter terrorism task force called JTF 6. Back then, they were even talking about Haji's coming across the border and sneaking in and everything, especially with us going after Saddam back in the day. And so uh, we were down there supplementing the border patrol. Um, We were reservists that were called up to active duty. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we brought our night vision, our M16s and we went down there. Can you hit pause for just a minute? I got my wife calling me. I got cool. The wife, man, you got to take a call yeah, from the boss sometimes. I have to. So <laughs> uh, I ended up uh, down there working with the Border Patrol. Uh, 
Um, and we worked on a rotation to where um, it was uh, you would spend three days in the field, come out of the field. Uh, we would get a couple days off and then we would go out and ride shotgun with federal agents in their vehicles to back them up. And then we would transition back into um, the field. Uh, I'm going to try to do two things at once while I talk to you. <laughs> no problem, man. Cheers, by the um, way. So let, let me see if I can make this happen or not. Um, it's going to take me a minute. So we were doing that and uh, we had night vision equipment. We had, uh, you know, our rifles and we had some other, uh, the tow guys had brought uh, their uh, thermals with us. And so we had access. So we could see some stuff that they didn't really have back in 1990 with the border patrol and all that stuff. And so uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, there was one night they, they told us at this checkpoint as we were sitting over this border patrol station that was on a road on the edge of California. They said, look, these guys, if they pull off up here, they'll turn their lights off. They will then turn around and pull over um, and they'll let the guys out. Those guys will typically walk up to this dried Creek bed. And then from there, uh, you know, if you, you know, let us know, then we'll hold the car, then we'll come find these guys. And it was like, okay. And so one night, we we were just exactly like they said. They pulled off half a mile up the road. The lights went off. We said, hey, you got a guy. Told them on the radio. And so um, they turned around and they uh, they did that. And uh, the they sent an agent up. He got back up there. They detained the car. And then this guy's going down. He said, I don't see him. I don't see him. And we're looking at him for a night vision. Like, you're not there yet. Hang on. And you, we could see these guys. And then we set up a parachute flare. And here you got these guys like this caught out. Once it, it said, do you see them now? And they're like, yeah, we see them now. We got this. So let me see where I'm trying to figure out how to share my screen with you. Uh, there should be like a little green button in the middle. Um, share screen. Here we go. There you go. Uh, is that up? Uh, sure. not oh, I got to click this. There we go. So here you go. This is me on that deployment um, in our hide when we would take chances that's me. That's me reading a book. Um, yes, that is a can of frosting sitting up there next to me with a diet soda. As I always <laughs> pack some in. Uh, my rifle is right behind me. That's my buddy's rifle taking the picture in the foreground. Um, that, But that was from that deployment when I was uh, down there on the border. Um, right, and At that point in time, we were only... Um, we we were less than 200 feet from the border. So you guys um, were just like day. sleeping outside with night vision. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were hiding out. We, we would go into a hide for uh, almost three days and then we would um, camp out there looking for crossings, looking for illegals, uh, whatever it was. Uh, 
we caught some coyotes one night packing in some duffel bags full of dope. And uh, there's a picture in a shoebox somewhere of me standing next to about 85 <laughs> pounds of dope. Um, what kind of and, dope? Uh, ma- uh, mostly marijuana. Uh-huh. There was some coke, um, but, and the border patrol agents had their own way of dealing with sometimes when it wasn't worth their paperwork, they had their own ways of dealing with stuff. And uh, they, uh, yeah, you go explain why you're not arrested and there's no report on this. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Cause like, who are you going to go to type of thing? They just pour it out on the side of the road. Oh, interesting. Gotcha. Um, they weren't what, taking it for themselves or anything, but here, you know, yeah. what? this isn't, this isn't worth it. And uh, there was a, there was a night that we may have ended up on the other side of a uh, imaginary line on a map <laughs> that oh. wasn't United States territory anymore. Um, chasing a coyote. Um, but the yeah. Coyote, is that a drug, a term for a drug runner? Yeah, the the coyotes are the guys that know the path. So you got the mules, which are Mm -hmm. the guys packing it. And then you got the coyotes, which are the guys that are sniffing around. And they call them coyotes because they're cagey like a coyote. If you've ever done any coyote hunting or anything like that, you know, they're they're smart animals. And that's, they got that nickname, the coyotes. And so, you know, we got, um, they got, three of the mules excuse me um that night and the coyote was uh he got away and uh, was tracked back a ways before yeah. um it was called off because i think the words that were explained to me was this could be an international incident oh wow <laughs> well that sounds so, crazy well yeah, so i'm uh, I'm uh I didn't I know we didn't necessarily plan to talk about this so and, and I know we're almost at the top of our time as well but um I wanted to ask you I'm I'm actually inviting former law enforcement and current law enforcement I've just found that current law enforcement are less likely to hop on air with me more so I've had better luck with former law enforcement but I guess I wanted to ask you cuz this is the question I ask them is like how did you i know that you probably were able to just look at it as a job but when it came to like the drugs specifically like did you ever did that ever since you said earlier you don't really care about cannabis and such did that ever get into your head or like my my opinion on that has evolved over time uh i was part of the war on drugs and i have a completely different spectacle on that Um, i'm probably closer to Tom Clancy's clear and present danger in the way that we ought to handle it. I think that my feeling is that with a real president uh, that has the cojones that we should declare those drug cartels to be uh, international terrorist organizations and they should face this. They sh- we should go after them with interdiction teams and cruise missiles and hellfires. And we got to know where they are. You can't tell me you can't find these guys. Um, and, and, you know, I don't necessarily think going after the guy smoking weed on, on the street corner is the solution to the drug policy. But I also think that between the problems we have with fentanyl and heroin and everything else, uh, I mean, I don't believe in having open markets for people to shoot up as a solution. 
It just doesn't seem like a good idea to me. But at the same time, the guys that are really supplying the stuff, because they've been running guns back and forth. They, they've right. been doing all kinds of other things. I mean, they killed Brian Terry. How long ago was that? Under Obama, 10 years ago, um, because of their failed policies. So I, I think that there's way. But no, I, I didn't. In the day, they were smugglers. They were, they were you know, part of the cartel empire. And taking mm -hmm. any of them down didn't bother me at all. Do you think that the best way to maybe take on the cartel would be to, I know you said you like not an open market or whatever, but like if we legalize drugs and we, we were the supplier of drugs and, and people knew what they were getting when they were buying those drugs, most like, you know what I mean? Like that, I don't know what I, else I they can there, do other than human I think traffic. there's an, I think there's an argument to be made for some of that. Mm -hmm. However, um, I also believe that history shows that when a society just goes down that rabbit hole, it never ends well. You mm -hmm. had the, the Romans and the Greeks both. If you go back that far, when you had nothing but the games in the circus and bread, and then you had everything else that went along with that, you know, um, their morality went into the toilet and that society is no longer in existence today. And I think that we see shades of that today. Uh, you know, some people in this world refuse to recognize that there is evil out there. But so the way I look at it, man, is like, I agree with you in the like the on face value. But here's the way I look at it. Like you can get in a car and you can choose not to wear a seatbelt mm -hmm. and something really bad can happen. Right. My thing is like you should still be able to make that choice. Me and not so, wearing it. Me, not, I agree with that, and I don't wear a seatbelt. I don't. But uh, you know, I, I fought helmet laws in this state in this country for almost thirty years. But here's the difference. The difference I will argue is me not wearing a seatbelt does absolutely nothing to you individually. However, what we do have is we do have the addiction problem to where that pushes people into other types of crime to get the money to feed that addiction. That becomes my problem when it's me or my family that is getting burglarized, carjacked, stuck yeah. up, strong arm robbery, but mugged or whatever. And so there's a difference between that. Again, I don't claim to have the solution. Right, right. Uh, and I, I just, I don't think just saying no to everything works. At the same mm -hmm. time, open air drug markets and things like that, I don't think work either. So I just feel, honestly. oh, no problem. <clears throat> the dogs just saw <laughs> walking a dog down the street and they just, nope. So, um, well, I just, so, so I mean, you know, in 1990 and 1991, did I have a problem um, picking up the mules and the extensions of the cartels? Not at all. And if they gave me an opportunity to go after the car cartels today, I wouldn't have a problem with that at yeah. all. But if I could, I, I view drugs like guns and you can abuse them 
you can hurt other people. Uh, you can, you know, that's not the proper use. And, and, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't address what your point, the point you brought up and I'll address your point. But my thing is it, I believe that all of these drugs are tools and we've acknowledged that that's why the scheduling system exists. Like heroin is a scheduled drug. Fentanyl is a scheduled drug. My mom actually recently went into surgery and they had to use fentanyl. Now, did they use it in the way that the fucking cartels use it? Absolutely not. Cause they're not using it properly. Oh dude. I, I, a friend so, of mine was a vet when ketamine came on the mark, when they were, when that was getting messed up. And my point is you can abuse anything. And the, the things to address your point, I hear you. I, I hear your your thing where it's like typically people with a drug issue are the ones that are breaking in to try and steal shit. But my, my thing to that is the fact that they're doing drugs or whatever they're going through isn't a crime. The crime is what they're doing to you, which is breaking into your house and stealing your shit. You know what I mean? I, I agree with that, except I don't know anybody that's sitting there breaking into people's houses and mugging people so they can get money to buy a, a new Glock. <laughs> All right. So yeah. I, I, I understand what you're trying to say. Just, um, you know, in the confines, of your own home under control, maybe, um, you know, like I said, the weed stuff, I really don't care about. Um, it, it's just every, everything else that leads down a spiral and, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I just, yeah, but, I just think about because one of your cases you made it. I really didn't intend to get into this conversation. We can we can that's fine. Uh, back out. And I also want to plug your YouTube channel, which will be in the podcast description, folks. Sure. But um, like my my point with that, yeah, is just simply in this freedom espousing country, you would think that it would be like look, you got to be responsible with your freedom. Like part of being an adult is being responsible with that freedom and whatever you fucking do. Like we've got a lot of things that we're allowed to do. We can go parachuting. We can buy bleach and explosives. You know, we could, we could buy explosives and uh, what is it? Tannerite. We could go shoot. That it, shit it's and- a, bi- it's a binary compound. Yeah. But no, I used to skydive. I was a paratrooper in the military. So yeah, you know, we, and I we just think do. we're trusted to do so many different things. And one of the arguments you made earlier for guns was like, back in the day, what could we do? Back in the day, what was permissible? Back in the day, what was oh, normal? Back in the day, and there I was real like cocaine and Coca-Cola. That's so. what I'm saying. And you and you could, <clears throat> and, and To Kill a Mockingbird, you read To Kill a Mockingbird, and yeah, people had problems with morphine. But you know what? Morphine was available because if you got shot or something or you broke your leg, sometimes you needed morphine. So it, I don't know. It, it's just like, it, that's my thing on it. I wish we were that America where it's like still in Sears. You could get that shit if you wanted to, <laughs> you know, that's America, baby. Who knows where we're going to end up? I, I mean, there's, um, there's a whole bunch of that, but that's. Yeah. So anyways, uh, again, but, but the difference that. is the, the, the difference in that is when a couple of guys like us can sit down and have a conversation about it yeah. and it's not, you're not screaming across the table or, <laughs> right. or whatever. I mean, th- this is, part of this is what's lost within i think the body politic mm-hmm. and that you know you can't people don't some people don't know how to disagree without just taking it completely too personal you know i mean right look and look there are things out there um this whole this whole thing about minor attracted person these days you want me to be pro-choice I'm pro-choice for pedophiles. You get either a nine millimeter or a 38, your choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that that stuff. 
stuff with kids and dogs will set me off on an edge in a heartbeat. And I'm with uh, you there, <laughs> you know, in, in there's, so that's why I say you go back to the ancient Rome and the ancient Greeks, especially Rome when the debauchery and so many other things that their society spun out of control and they're not around anymore in that form or fashion, even though it lasted for how long, um, you know, I mean, our country is 200 and some odd years, 50 ish years old or whatever we are. Um, you know, we, we are uh, a fledgling, but we're one of the longest representative republics that's been around. So, uh, yeah, I, I look, I, I tend to lean more libertarian on things. Um, I like, you know, uh, I'm a back to blue guy in terms of, I think if you want to have an orderly society, you do need to have, you know, law enforcement out there, but you know, I get bent out of shape when over in Plainfield, they sit there and they have cops standing on the corner at the street sign to see if you're wearing a seatbelt. And I've been ticketed for that because I refuse to wear a seatbelt. And I think, <laughs> you know, that's bullshit. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a law and order guy until, you know, they decide that, you know, the you can't have your nine millimeter. We're going to come and confiscate it for you. Well, then, Okay. But I, most of the cops I know, we ain't going to do that. You know, the, the former chief of my town told me point blank, he says, you know what this comes to when you get to that point? You're telling me I have to arrest the people I go to church with, the people in my neighborhood, the people that are the, that are, are parents on my son's football team, you know, the people, the guys I see in the bar. That ain't going to happen. And that's why this thing is ultimately going to fail. The real question is what's going to happen and how are they going to sit there and, you know, uh, it took five lawsuits before Rahm Emanuel got the fucking picture and gave up on guns. How many, what's it going to take for the General Assembly and their collective wisdom to figure this out that you're not going to win? Because I'm of a mindset that at a certain point in time, you start holding them in contempt. And I think that's going to be the big question for the court. The Supreme Court is when you say no and they go like this, what are you going to do, Mr. Chief Justice? How are you going to sit there if the legislature is going to thumb their nose at a co-equal branch of government? How are you going to fix that? And a topic I'd like to close on, if we could, I don't even know if you know about this. So if you're not familiar um, it's okay. Um, and I also acknowledge that we're two white dudes talking about it, but I think we can still talk about it. Uh, the, the, uh, of course we can, right. Um, the racist origins of gun control, or at least what I'm oh, sure to be sure. You know, you uh, got the Jim Crow laws and you got going back to Dred Scott when they sat there and said, if we found for him, then he would have the right to keep and bear arms like anybody else. Gun control laws have been used by the Dixiecrats as a way. And somehow the black community has been brainwashed into it that because of the crime in their streets, that this is the solution rather than economic empowerment, better schools. How much you want to bet in most of the places that are, that are majority black and Brown populated, that their schools are doing less than 50%. You know, in terms of graduation, reading rates, standardized test scores, whatever that, 
you know, all the industry. Chicago used to have a whole line of steel mills. Forget the environmental impacts, but it used to be once upon a time that a guy could, without a high school diploma, could go make a good living, could have what's really a living wage. That's why as a union operator, I'm I'm for a prevailing wage. I'm not for a minimum wage. Minimum wage is an entry-level deal. But the trades, you know, I'm a, I have a pension because I spent over 30 years in the trades. I'm retired three years. I retired at the age of 55 with a pension. And I could. My wife, my wife doesn't work. She's been a um she doesn't work in terms of she's not employed. She works keeping me in check. And she works taking care of our family and building our family and all that stuff. Okay. <laughs> but I, I will never say a stay-at-home and mom doesn't work. They just have a different set of responsibilities. But she didn't have, she wasn't an employee bringing home a paycheck for the the vast term. So if you want to talk about that, yeah, gun control is routinely used in a racist way. You look at the filings in other states to where when they are losing, and even our own attorney general has done this, when they are losing on the history and tradition, they cite colonial era rules and laws about Catholics not being able to own guns, Quakers not being able to own guns, the slave codes and blacks and Native Americans not being able to own guns. Then they stand around and go, oh, that would never hold today. But you're trying to buttress that racist crap in order to perpetuate your prohibition today. Who did UUW and the carry law benefit the most? The people in Englewood, the people in Austin, because now they had a means to be able to get a carry permit. So they weren't getting popped. My buddy, Sean Gowder, the guy that we, I talked to you about earlier, he got popped for carrying a gun for protection. You ask the attorney general if he doesn't have a friend who got popped on a UUW because he ran uh, like a coin operated laundry or something that had a lot of cash business and he got jacked up on that. And if that's fair. Because Illinois didn't want to have a carry law back in the day. Yeah, that's all bullshit. And I just don't understand. You know, the problem is you have these guys like Sharpton and Jackson. And I'll tell you a story. Jesse Jackson's kid used to buy guns at Chuck's gun shop. The very one he would protest and everything. He would, you know, Jesse Jackson Jr., bought guns, including assault weapons at Chuck's gun shop back in the day. Now he's a convicted felon. He can't own a gun. But then they used to have protests in front of his shop. So, you know, how is it that you're over here sponsoring every gun control bill that comes through Congress as a sitting member of Congress and that you turn around and the very people you want to blast you go patronize their business and buy the very thing you're voting to ban. Oh, because it's not going to affect me because I'm now one of the ruling class. Yeah, bullshit. You know, I can't tell you how many legislators sat there and told me they have carry permits and vote for all this bullshit. I can't, you know, you had a, a state senator who kept a 38 in his uh, drawer of his desk and would vote anti-gun every single time. Oh, no. The hypocrisy there is crazy, and it's going to take guys like the 761st Gun Club and places like that to break through this because they're the guys that need this.
You know, you, you want to know, you got to have economic empowerment. Where are the jobs to where guys that don't graduate high school can still go make a living? You got to have a school system that prepares them to be able to go to college and do things like that. And you got to have role models. Is the, the role model I grew up with was my father, who went to work 40 to 60 hours a week, who put himself through night school so he could practice law in front of the ICC, not being a lawyer. You know, what are the role models that you have there? They've they just destroyed the nuclear family. And it's all the New Deal and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I was the reason I brought this topic up, you know, it's uh, I just Googled and found one. Um, I just read a lot about history and how. I know people say this as a vague term, but I, back in the day that it was a point of pride to be able to own a firearm and that there were even laws that prevented African-Americans from um, just people of color of because uh, it included Indians as, or Native Americans as well, um, prevented them from purchasing rifles, I believe. They could only purchase shotguns in certain areas. Yeah. Well, and it's like, so where are you from? Uh, I'm from Champaign. Uh, Champaign. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were in Illinois or not, but mm -hmm. there used to be a, uh, um, uh, there, there used to be, um, a, uh, uh, housing project called Ida, Ida B. Wells named after a for, uh, famous black woman. But you, and I did this on their Twitter accounts when they were posting Twitter stuff over black history month, I sat there when they referenced Ida B. Wells, her quote was a Winchester rifle should have a place of honor in every black home and it should be used for the protection, which the law refuses to give. Yeah. And yeah, that's so, another, yeah, that's another one I've heard. Yeah, no, I completely agree with. But yeah, I'm a white kid whose family left the south side, 103rd and Eggleston back in 1967. And I grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. OK, but I don't. Where are you from uh, now? I live in Yorkville. Yorkville. Where is that? 60 miles west of Chicago. OK, so I, I since I'm not from Chicago, I basically call everything up there Chicago, which yeah, I know no, I'm 60 miles due west of Chicago. Gotcha. Gotcha. I grew up in Downers, moved to Naperville, kept moving west. My next move will be south. But um, yeah, what you that's what they're there? Huh? seem like you don't fit in up there. What are you doing up there? <laughs> no, it's better up here than, you know, I'm west of 47. So it, mm. it's better up here. Um, where I'm at, but we have the Karens and everybody else moving in around us. So it is <laughs> that's what, what it I is. meant. Yeah, the the suburbs and all that stuff. Right? If everybody runs away, pretty soon there won't be. You know, you'll be on an island, and when they get to that point, there's nothing left fighting for. Yeah. So I I prefer to stick it out and fight to the best of my ability. Um, yeah. and that's it. Well, hey, I would love to talk to you again. I feel like sure. we have a lot to lot more to talk about. And of course, you know, depending on how the, the developing future looks, uh, we'll definitely have stuff to talk about. You know, you'd you'd laid out a timeline for like April and everything and how this may go. So maybe I'll touch base with you in the future. But for folks that that have been listening and really liked what we were talking about, um, your YouTube channel is what is it again? Freedoms Steel. Freedoms Steel. It is Freedom's Steel. 
Awesome. Uh, see if I can get and we'll have that link in the podcast description, folks. If you want to check it out, definitely subscribe to the channel. The the way I found you, I, I uh, so there's a subreddit called Illinois Guns, and um, it's an okay subreddit. I I the reason I say okay is just because I get that everybody's panicked, but there are just so many people asking questions that it's just a little redundant at times. Yeah, but that's a lot what of my... people post your videos, man. A lot of people post your videos. Yeah, that's uh, this is what the channel page looks like. Nice. So you see the bulldozer up there. That's the uh, thing about it, because as an operating engineer, um, my gun club bought me some equipment so I can go build ranges. I'm in the middle of building 20 new ranges at the Aurora Sportsman's Club. So that's kind of, you know, we're using that steel and iron to build more places for us to exercise our freedoms. That's kind of how the the name came about and everything. So yeah. Um, yeah. Freedom steel. It's my YouTube page. I also understand there's a sub thing over on Reddit where uh, I'm called the gun Santa. So oh, really, <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a thing about that. Uh, the other day guys have been telling me about that. So my videos get posted over there. Cause I don't have a Reddit account. I I was doing good to do Facebook and I'm Twitter is still, I still don't get it, but I still, I don't understand all the little, I want to read a thread and I can't read a thread. It drives sure. Me it's yeah. Yeah. No, I and, get you, dude. and, uh, so I've gotten into the YouTube thing because I was doing stuff about the gun club. You can go mm -hmm. find some of my videos of us moving dirt and building ranges. And then guys are like, why don't you do some two way stuff? And so I've been involved in that. So. Sweet. Well, again, I'd love to chat with you. Maybe next time we can make it happen in person and maybe we can even go shooting afterwards. Sure. So, not um, a problem. Cool. Cool. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, my time with Todd. Um, looking forward to the next one, man. All right. All right, guys, See you, folks. Frag out. <laughs>